So if you are uh, joining this conversation, this is a part of a series we're doing on the Love First podcast, and we're talking specifically about awareness and advocacy in regard to disabilities and special needs. And so you're going to get to enjoy some awesome conversations. And this evening, you can see that I have five wonderful friends um, from our church that are going to help us talk about this and walk through this. So what I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to start um, for my uh, view of the of the um, screen. I'm going to start with Millie. And Millie, if you just introduce yourself, and then I'll call to each one of you, and you can um, introduce yourselves as we go. Love first, I know. Hi, my name is Millie Brabham, and my husband David and I um, have been at North Atlanta for the past three years. We have two boys, a nine-year-old Briley, who is going into fourth grade, and then we have our sweet little Brady, and he's going to be eight in July, and Brady is on the autism spectrum, and with that comes a lot of joy, but also um, some pretty significant um, challenges. And um, thank you for being willing to join in this conversation with us. It means so much to me and my family. Wonderful. Thank you. And Brandon? Hi, I'm Brandon Gibbs. I've um, been at North Atlanta for about six years now. And, and um, I have cerebral palsy. And uh, I've got 34 years of experience uh, to share tonight. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Dana. Hi, I'm Donna Jordan. I've been with North Atlanta pretty much for the past five years. Um, and I have three young boys, 12, 10, and 7, and they've all been diagnosed as being on the autistic spectrum. So you are a busy, busy mom. Yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> and Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Bates, and um, I've been a member of North Atlanta for about 30 years now. And um, my daughter uh, has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. Her name is Valencia, and Valencia is 37 years old now. Mm. And um, I am very fortunate to have care for her. So mm. the last time we met, she was with me, but not today. Okay, so. and thank you. Okay, mm -hmm. and Jennifer. Hi, my name is Jennifer Williams. Um, I've been at North Atlanta for close to four years now. And um, I also have cerebral palsy from birth due to a stroke um, at birth and um, have lived with that all of my life. Um, I've also um, joined the disability world through uh, being a speech pathologist for the last um, 13 years. Wow. And I have worked in the public and hospitals and also in a Christian school in Guatemala. Wow. Wow. Well, Jennifer, would you mind just maybe sharing us with us a little bit about your personal experience and you can dip into both worlds, but your personal experience with disability. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, 
So, um, like I said, it began um, from birth where I um, had a right side hemiparesis um, due to the stroke at birth. Um, so I've always had a physical disability that has limited my, um, my ability to move and everything. I'm, you know, I am able to walk and do most everything for myself, but it's included everything from physical therapy to occupational therapy all of my life. Mm. Um, and then, um, I've always seen it as a blessing, um, in a lot of ways, um, because, uh, the verse, you know, in um, Corinthians about where I'm weak, um, then I am strong. And so um, I've always seen it as something that God has um, blessed me with, actually, because it's made me stronger and people ask if I want to take it away. And it's really a part of me. And so, um, yes, I've struggled with, you know, looking a certain way or not being able to do certain things, but, um, it's always been a blessing to me. So, um, that's my own journey with it. Um, and then I started uh, looking for careers in college and ended up finding this career of speech pathology where I was able to help people with disabilities. Um, and so ended up working in that field, working with children with autism, Down syndrome, uh, a variety of dis disabilities, and um, in 2015, that led me, or sorry, 2012, that led me to Guatemala, where I found a school um, for children with disabilities there, and worked there for four years, and um, was able to start a mom support group um, for the children, and um, just also provide therapy for all of the children there, so um, I have a pretty wide gamut of um, just knowledge and, you know, just getting to experience disabilities through my own eyes and through other people's eyes. Yeah. And you're a new mom. I am a new mom. Yes. <laughs> and that's so, a whole nother experience. That's right. Yeah. And so let's take a moment and let's start uh, talking just for a few moments about support. You know, for instance, Connie, when you heard her say that she started a mom's support group, right? Um, what does support What does support look like? What does it feel like? Uh, good support. Well, first of all, I have to talk about it. One of I think one of the most astounding things I found out is that because I was very young and didn't understand politics and how governments work, mm. all states are not equal. So I had Valencia in Oregon. That's where she was born. We were living there temporarily. And the support from her birth was fantastic and immediate, you know, almost immediate, helping turnover and all kinds of things that she really needs to have. Then we moved to Milwaukee. And again, the support was phenomenal. I, this is a short uh period of time because Valencia was born September 29th. We moved back to Milwaukee shortly after she was born. And then we came here in 84. Mm -hmm. So to come here to Georgia and not find the services that I really did expect was just devastating for me. And my, I was talking to my mom about this today, um, telling her we were going to have this meeting. We had to send Valencia back to Milwaukee for a year so that she could start school because they wouldn't let her start here. Hmm. So there was nothing for her here. 
So my mom was telling me how I remember how wonderful it was. But she said even the support of someone from the school would come into the student's home to see their environment and ask, what can we do for you and supporting you? So that's one way that one thing that support looks like. Um, I'm I'm devastated that there's not enough financial support anymore because it's sorely needed. The support is so many different things, even counseling for parents, Mm. even siblings, because everybody's going through this thing together. Wow. So there's just a few of the support chains that need to be there, not to mention the psychological, the medical, um, and the support groups. Yeah. So yeah. Millie, I saw you nodding your head. What, what, what were you resonant? What was resonating as Connie was talking? Um, the regional support as well, like services that are available. We moved to Georgia, to South Georgia, actually Brunswick, when Brady had just turned one. Mm. And so that's where the whole diagnosis process happened. And I was driving an hour, three to four times a week, both ways to Savannah for him to have therapy, um, behavioral therapy for help, even the diagnosis process, which we were on a waiting list for eight months. Um, And then we were having to also drive to Jacksonville, Florida, which is an hour from Brunswick. And then by the time we had all that taken care of and we were sort of in a routine with everything, and he aged out of the Babies Can't Wait program, the Early Intervention State program, and then we were thrown into the public school program that was not, unfortunately, was not well-equipped. And I thought to myself, I am able to work part-time and am capable because I, David is supportive and I had neighbors that were supportive to drive Brady an hour to therapy. There were so many of his peers in his classroom that were not able to do anything extra. And it broke my heart. Actually, when we got to Atlanta, I told multiple people at Marcus Autism Center, I'm like, y'all have a responsibility. You're only north of Macon. There's a whole rest of the state south of Macon that is just desperate for services. Um, So that is that type of support that is desperately needed. I so agree with you, Connie. Um, we've only journeyed through this in Georgia, so I don't know what other states' perks would look like. Yeah, and, 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 I, then, and, I, and I think that's interesting because my, my feeling is, is that a lot of people who are observing, even with an empathetic heart, some of the things you all will talk about this evening, I mean, it's a real awakening. It's like, oh, wow, I... You know, I didn't even think of that. That's not any part of my personal experience. You know, I think is how some people experience. Other people will be like, that's my family. That's my life. You know, Dana, what is it like when you hear them use phrases that are common in disability circles, aging out, you know, aging from one out of one program to a next to a next. You have three, right? So can you tell us a little bit about your unique journey? Um, Sure. Well, again, I have three. Gavin is my seven-year-old. If you hear him in the background, he's decided to crash. Um, (laughs) Um, 
And then I have Xavier, who is now 10, and Stephen, who is 12. Mm-hmm. Gavin is the, I guess you could say, um, least functional. Mm-hmm. He does not communicate verbally very well. Um, he didn't really speak until, I would say, probably six or five. But I will say that my journey has been, I was fortunate to have a lot of support within the school system. Um, I have little support outside of that because um, I really just don't have, my my need is really for someone to watch them because I don't get a break. I'm a single mom. So, um, but in terms of the school, the teachers are always willing, asking if they can do anything for us. Um, Gavin was diagnosed first, and then Xavier, who's 10, he was having some anger difficulties at school, um, which manifested in a very (laughs) violent way. Mm -hmm. Um, So he he could have easily been expelled, but the principal of his elementary school really took a liking to him. And fortunately, um, where maybe another principal would have expelled him, he was maybe sent home for a one-day suspension or something of that nature. So he eventually was able to change schools. That was, I'd say, probably the most difficult, no, Kevin, the most difficult part. Um, Because in his version of ASD, of course, no two are the same. (laughs) So he is the, um, his aggression and, the um, anger made it very difficult for him to have a productive day at school. So I'm getting calls like multiple days. I think the the turning point was only maybe last year, May, when we were able to find a medication that worked. Um, we had to try different dosages and, and versions, but we did find something that pretty much allowed him to control his anger. Mm. So... Um, but prior to that, the three years had been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, then we have Stephen, who was 12. And Stephen is the most functional, I would say, out of the, out of the three. <laughs> he just started um, junior high last year. Mm-hmm. He's going to grade. Congratulations. Thank you. I let him know. <laughs> um, his support, he has a, like, a, I'm not sure exactly what her title is, but she's pretty much a liaison between subject teachers and um his IEP program individual um so she provides support inside the class but I can every person that we've encountered if I I mean they've just been so helpful I know it's God and I know it's a blessing because I've heard other stories uh like Xavier for as angry as he can be everybody loves him (laughs) even in North Atlanta when he first came, it was very difficult, but everybody just supported us and stuck with us. It was amazing. I really didn't expect that when I first came. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from each teacher, maybe even willing to come out and see him on the weekend to try to calm him down, or we've just had a lot of support, and I'm very thankful for it. That's incredible. And you, you highlight something, Dana, that I also want to kind of put a little bit of a pin in right now and then return to it. Okay. But the idea of uh, you know emotional and physical um, aggressiveness, you know, sometimes the way we frame that 
has to be very, very, has to be transformed when we're talking about someone with disabilities or special needs or a developmental disability. Exactly. And for a lot of us, that, that equipping has not, not ever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes when people are observing it and watching it, they are not relating to what's actually happening, right? So I think that's it's- profound. This teacher would often say she would love for everyone to see the kind, loving boy that she does instead of that initial rage, because that's, of course, what many people would judge him on. Yeah. So something that um, some of you have highlighted for me um, and some of the research that I've been working on for the last year kind of, you know, articulates that not only are there kind of different um, families of disabilities like physical or developmental and so on, um, uh, mental and intellectual disabilities. But of course, there's also a spectrum, right? And these are, these are as diverse as any other imaginable population on earth, right? So Brandon, um, could you walk us through a little bit just your own journey, like, right? Because you've heard these other conversations, right? Yeah. But you lived it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so walk us through a little bit of your personal journey. Um, the beginning of my story is pretty similar to Jennifer's because I had a stroke at birth too, and uh, and cerebral palsy. And then as an infant and into elementary, middle, and high school, I saw physical therapist, occupational therapist. Mm. Um, we went through that route. We, went, we did it through uh, private clinics and the school system as well and the hospital system. And we eventually, uh, I had some surgeries too to fix some things. And uh, so, yeah. So, um, walk, go ahead. Help us a little bit with, like maybe because this is something only you can answer. Yeah. What were some of the things you experienced maybe um, in elementary school? Because, you know, Dana mentioned the ages of her children, elementary mm-hmm. school and then middle school and then high school. And what were some things that you went through? Um, in elementary school, that's where I was getting my uh, physical therapy through the school. Mm-hmm. And there were a few, they would pull me out of class and I'd, work on me and um, they even brought me to the special needs class a few times so I could like interact with those kids some and did like recess with them. Um, A lot of the kids would be like, what's wrong with your hand and why do you walk weird? And um, some of them were jerks about it and some of them were nice about it and the ones who were nice became my friends. so yeah. When you went to college, yeah, what happened then? Um, let me think. Everyone was pretty much adult about the whole situation. There were some, uh, like, hey, do you mind if I ask you what's wrong with your hand? And, um, 
I remember someone asking me, are you all right? Like they thought I was like, I had broken my foot or something. And I was like, nothing or something. Um, But yeah, everyone was pretty much adult about it at that age. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. So I noticed that Jennifer was nodding while you were speaking. (laughs) So Jennifer, what were you hearing? (laughs) Hear the same thing that happened to me. Uh, Lots, you know, and even now, um, and people are doing it genuinely to say, hey, make sure you're okay. And I think growing up with a disability, at least for me, it makes you a little defensive in terms of, I'm fine. I can do this on my own. (laughs) Let me do it. Because I grew up with, you have to overcome and you have, you want to do it yourself just as my six month old is wanting to do everything herself. Uh, (laughs) um, So I think, you know, I've come to realize and be okay with the fact that people are asking it and, you know, still a lot of times I'm like, no, I'm fine. Thank you. (laughs) Don't help me. And sometimes I'll, you know, I'll take the help. But um, I think that, you know, it's just a, a, a genuine human thing to, for people to just be like, Hey, I want to make sure you're okay. Um, But I, I think for somebody with a disability, it's, it's sometimes it's just, you know, it's like, I'm fine. I can do it myself. Um, so, you know, it's something you kind of have to struggle with. Like, you know, I'm, I, I need help sometimes and that's okay. You know? So one of the documentaries that, um, a friend of this group, Phil Woody had me watch. There was a lot of stress about that, about the difference between approaching someone with a disability from the angle of what they can't do. Which, of course, depending on the disability, that's a little bit inevitable, right? But what they noticed was when they were in settings that were specifically geared toward the success and opportunities of people with disabilities, then all the emphasis was on, well, what can you do? What are you able to do? And leaning into that. And it, and it was uh, pretty profound, the impact of living in a world where nearly everyone was thinking about what you couldn't do versus living in a world where people were actually really excited to see you grow into what you could do. I want to shift our conversation slightly and spend a little time on this question why don't we do this? Millie, why don't you start us off on this question? What do you wish people knew? You know, like I know because of the conversation and the, and the preparation for our conversation that everyone here, you know, uh, loves their family and loves, you know, uh, has, a, a, has a beautiful attitude toward life and all of that, which is true. But the world with disabilities is also a world that has been to a great degree ignored by the general public behind the scenes by the general public. And this is not new. I mean, this is from the beginning. So what I'd ask us to do is pull the curtain back a little bit. And what do you wish people knew about either working with like in Jennifer's case, someone with disabilities being 
someone with a disability, as Brandon and Jennifer both described, or being a caretaker, a mother, um, a family member. Let's talk about that. So Millie, we'll start with you, then Donna, and then Connie. I could talk forever about this question. Um, Brady's autism and Brady's case um, is basically invisible looking. He physically looks like a typical child. And so Brady, Dana, Brady can also be pretty aggressive, so I can empathize. And that's not easy for me to talk about. Um, I struggle with saying that because I, I've worked through, I'm working through that because I have this guilt of, I don't want people to think that that's what Brady is. Because like, like Xavier, like Brady is the most precious child. I mean, I adore him. I just want to kiss his little cheeks 24 seven and scoop him up. And anyways, but it's hard because when he acts out and when we're out in public, when he screams because he stims, which is those repetitive movements or behaviors, Brady screams with his stimming. So it's very disruptive. It's loud. And the looks, the comments I have gotten over the years have led me to, I just resolve into tears when I get home in the shower by myself. And that's been really hard. So that invisible looking disability in Brady's case. The other thing from a personal standpoint is it's so lonely. Mm. can't always go places we have to pick and choose where our energy is some days I am so exhausted honestly that I just can't even imagine participating in a family activity through church or even getting up and going to church some days just takes it all out of me <laughs> mm. and then you have a lot of guilt so I think there's just this cycle that maybe some of you all can like relate to where you know um you have this guilt feeling and then prayer and support comes for a while, for a time, somebody enters your life for a minute and then they're in it for a minute and then it's tiring. So then they kind of back out. So then you're back to this cycle. At least that's, that's our story. And then family is not here. So it's, it's just us. Um, I know it seems all over the place. Like I said, I could go into a lot more detail on things, but those are my take home points that I'd like the world the church to know is that autism is hard, comes with behavioral challenges. It comes with loudness, <laughs> it comes with excitement, and it comes with lots of movement. It comes with lots of worry. It comes with lots of loneliness. Yes. Um, but if you stick with us through it, I mean, it can be pretty awesome too. <laughs> you know, Millie, um, Research has increased a lot, as we know, over the last several years. We have a long way to go. But the CDC, and I want to share this just for our listeners, the CDC estimates that at least 61 million Americans live with a disability. 26% of the population, 1 billion, 1 billion people worldwide so you're talking about an enormous number of people impacted, but the CDC also suggests 
that those with invisible disabilities make up, depending on how you define it, between 70 and 90%. Mm. So it, it, it deepens the texture of what you're sharing with us, you know? So Donna, um, would you share with us and just kind of address that same question of what do you wish everyone knew? Um, that is difficult. That is very, very difficult. Um, Gavin, Gavin um, most recently started to regress being out of school and out of therapy for at least two months. Um, he's actually been very, he's been aggressive, but it doesn't seem mean spirited. It's kind of like, he just will come by and, and tap, like hit me or punch me or even, <laughs> and then say time out and then keep on going. So it seems like there's some confusion too, as far as, um, what results from hitting or we're working on it, but definitely I'm, I'm feeling the pain and the struggle from not being in school. Yeah. Um, and not being in therapy. He just actually started therapy back last week. So I'm being hopeful. Um, but yeah, that, it, that it's hard, that it's different. Um, there's so many different symptoms and how they manifest. They can be very difficult to focus <laughs> because my 10 year old also has ADHD and Gavin just came in with um, his tablet and he's watching Ubi. So I'm going to have to <laughs> remove them in just a minute. Okay. So you mentioned something that I want to put in context for our listeners as well, because we'll have this as a resource, you know, ongoing. We're talking about COVID-19. Yes. And so some people, it's all good. Some people <laughs> who are thinking about, oh, you know, it was, you know, it was such a nice family time, you know, we really bonded <laughs> with our children and oh my, and we went on walks and we camped out in the backyard. I mean, this is the Facebook reel of yeah. the spring of, of 2020, right? That's not I, it. <laughs> that's not it at all. That's not even close. And I think we have to realize that again, it's like, that's what awareness is helping us with is, oh, wow. Okay. So that's not, that's not my experience. Right. You know, Connie. Um, so Valencia is 37, right? Yes. And so how would you reflect on this? Because I, one of the things that many have shared and this is a topic for, you know, all of us to be aware of is the great anxiety that parents of children with disabilities feel about the future for their children when they're gone. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I need to kind of piggyback on um, what Donna said, because I've had care for Valencia for so long. Her caregiver took her out of her day facility even before she had to because she's caring for um, another person. And do you know it took me a minute for me to dial in and say, wait a minute, how's she going to the grocery store? 
She needs somebody to watch the kids while she goes to the grocery store because she used to have time that she no, no longer has. And I had to call her up. I said, I'm so sorry. Call me. I will meet you at the grocery store. I'll watch the kids while you go into the grocery store and get groceries. But it's, it's so many. Valencia, when I had her last week. Yep. She is upset. She asked about her day facility. Um, they experience changes like anybody, any another child would. When Val and I were divorced, when he finally came to pick her up, she lit into him. She hit him. She was angry. And, and because Valencia is Down syndrome and, and autism as well, I also have behavior issues. So, you know, finding the right medication, dosing, I'm, I'm there. I'm still there. Yes. Still there. Um, what, tell, ask me what you asked me before, because I, I, I was, you know, I wanted to go back. What did you say again? What did no, you ask no, me? No, again? you're right on the right spot because, oh, okay. because all this is connected. You know, yeah. your, your laser focus on your daughter. And you recognize that you think about her, you have intuitions about her that no one else has. And you know what, Don? I have another experience that mirrors others as well. I got ADD. Mm. I have a daughter who is even more severe. Mm. I have another child who's not autism, but she's on the spectrum of of, um, Asperger's. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know all of this stuff for a long time, you know? So it's, sometimes it is overwhelming. Yes. And it's something we really have to pray about and pray for each other about um, because I, I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll never stop being a mom. I'm, I'll never stop worrying about everybody. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, um, it's an endeavor. It's a journey, but this journey has humbled me. Every journey that I have taken, I can see what God's talking to me, telling me. Mm. He wants me to see something. Yeah. If I'm somewhere where I can't see something, he'll bring me where I can see it wow. um, through, through an experience or something like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it has been a journey. Okay, so before we move on, something that we've uh, we've heard a little bit of a like a resounding theme, and that is that um, part of this can be some physical challenges because as the children are growing, getting bigger, getting stronger, this is an issue. And one of the uh, wonderful conversations we had recently. Uh, with families, with family members with disabilities, is we talked about that some some children with disabilities harm themselves. Some children with disabilities. And that there can be a real fear on the part of the parent to interface with, you know, like what Brandon mentioned, the hospital system, the therapy system, the school system, and wondering how is this going to be perceived if I have a child that harms themselves in aggression? How is this perceived? And Connie, you you told us about an experience of having to take Valencia uh, to the to ER. What did you feel when you were faced with the inevitability 
that you have to help your daughter because she has self-harmed, but there was some fear there. Yeah. Um, she had a very, it was a Sunday and she had a very bad episode. I mean, just even getting her home, she, I could barely drive because she was hitting me mm. as I'm driving and she's sitting in the back. You know, so it was, it was a traumatic day, but I took her home, went back to church to get my niece. I was so messed up. I couldn't even figure out, I should have taken everybody at one time, but my brain wasn't operating very well that day. And when I got back home, she looked like she had been in a boxing match. And it just, but I had to take her. It did, I didn't even hesitate, but it did go through my mind. Yeah. What are they going to think? Yeah. I was hoping that they would say, if she had done this, I don't think she would have brought her in. You know? Yeah. But, but I don't know. But they figured it out. They, mm -hmm. they, I told them what happened and they believed me and they knew that Valencia had done this to herself. So yeah, it, it, it is a conundrum yeah. that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um, and that's why medical support and medical care, people who know what they're doing and people who, who are like on I, I, cutting edge, we're also concerned about too much medication. That's the other thing that happens. So finding the right medication and the right dosage and the, the rest of the support that you need, um, psychological and, and every other kind of support that there, there could be. But yeah, it is a, it's a, it has been a journey. Yes. So Jennifer, can you speak to this a little bit, serving as a professional in this field, can you speak to this a little bit about some of the inevitable tension that you've seen in families as they've interfaced with like education systems and so on? Yeah. I mean, I think every family is different. Their backgrounds, where they've come from, um, what experiences they have, whether positive or negative. Mm. And also, you know, just the school system that you're with, um, you know, what, what they bring, whether positive or negative. So, um, you know, I think um, there's, there's fear on both sides. Um, there's fear of school systems and the legalities of everything, um, of getting sued and, you know, all of that and all of that, that brings. Yeah. Um, and then there's fear on the side of the parents who are struggling to, to, find what's best for their child, know what's best for their child, you know, and I've sat in IEP meetings where it's hard. It's hard to know sometimes what's best. And, you know, you may agree, you may not agree with the whole team's decision, um, you know, and it's tough to be on that side sometimes. Um, it's a huge blessing to be able to work with these kids and to see the progress and sometimes you wish you could do more. And when you have over 40 children on your caseload and you can't, you know, um, it's a struggle. And, um, you know, it's a struggle every day to want to do your best. And sometimes you have to, to you know, realize that you are doing your best when you, you know, with what you have. Yeah. And to be able to help with your family, too. So. So Donna mentioned that 
her uh, son has been able in the last few weeks to return to therapy. How, how have you handled therapy during COVID-19? Um, it's been a challenge. I actually started two days before COVID, before schools closed. I started back to work for maternity leave. Two days. So, um, thankfully, the lady who was there was wonderful and gave me wonderful notes about how everybody was doing. Mm. Um, but I think the kids that suffered the most were the kids with autism mm. and um, the other with other significant developmental disabilities because they weren't the ones that I could get on a Zoom call with as well. And I want everyone to hear that. As much as, you know, I could do, I tried as much as I could, you know, talking to the parents and giving them materials. But, you know, you know, like Donna said, she's a single mom yes. working and they don't have the time to sit down with a lot of them don't have the time to sit down with their kids and spend an hour or whatever doing these lessons or doing these activities that I send home. Um, so that was the hardest part. I want to capture that. I, I really do. That's so insightful, Jennifer. You know, your, your unique position in this call is mm -hmm. extremely important um, because I think, you know, to Donna's point, you know, she referenced what wonderful support she's had, right? Connie mentioned, you know, like this, like someplace good, someplace not so good. When Millie was describing like driving a minimum of one hour each way. I mean, that was the starting point, right? That's not traffic or no traffic, right? That's just the starting point. And then on top of that, to have something like COVID-19 hit, where, you know, you're talking months out, right? So I, I want everyone to capture that and really process that. Brandon, I wanna ask you uh, a question here. What kind of therapist was the most helpful for you? What kind of therapist was the most helpful? It's hard because the older I got, the less therapy, the therapists I saw and the more like actual doctors I saw. Like, okay. dude, that's when I was going through like the surgery phase of things. Mm. So like the surgery really helped, mm. but um, the therapist when I was in elementary school, they uh, put me in splints and casts and then turned the casts into splints and, um, but which, I don't remember all of them by name. <laughs> yeah. so, um, was that difficult for you to transition from one to the next, or did it just feel like a natural progression for who, who you were from birth? I never really had like a huge attachment to any therapist because they were always rotating me like within the company. It was like, oh, I'd see this person this week and this person that week. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. What about for you? Um, what was, what was your journey into employment like? 
Um, I had already like mashed, like I had already figured out how to like type with one hand. So like typing, you know, hundred words a minute is like nothing to me now. It's like, <laughs> but um, not not literally. But <laughs> are you bragging? No, <laughs> no. Um, but you know, like I have, I have like so many life hacks um, that I put at my disposal to do certain things, and so I I employ all those in my job okay. as a graphic designer. So because I'm at the computer all day. <laughs> yes. so, um, uh, but no one ever asked me if I could uh, do a job or couldn't do a job. There's like. What does your portfolio look like? Mm. Yeah. So, so. That's very helpful. Jennifer, you, you <laughs> laughed when he mentioned life hacks <laughs> and typing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Similar? Okay. All right. Now let's do this. Um, in the time remaining, I want to uh, come back this way. And Donna, we're going to start with you this time. And Millie, not to put you on the spot, but you'll, you'll be next. Okay. Let's talk about surprises. Surprises along the way on this journey. What are some things that surprised you? You know, you didn't know that you would have three sons on the spectrum. Correct. So that's like, that has to rank as kind of a pretty big surprise, right? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some surprises that you've encountered along the way that you would want people to also know about? Um, especially having more than one that it, I've, I've gotten funny looks from people while one is off doing one thing and then maybe Gavin's in the cart screaming or um, we've definitely had to, kind of pick and choose so if we are there is because we have to be there <laughs> and that would be nice if people could understand that it's like I don't really want to be here with him screaming his head off but mm. I kind of have to be um that surprises there are all kind of different symptoms and they just I just done <laughs> okay well one big surprise um was that Gavin who is seven um would what they say call elope a lot you may have even seen him run through the church <laughs> on occasion or two and he is lightning fast yes um that i think one is one of the most difficult parts i remember being at a um being at a baseball game Gavin and Xavier is playing baseball and I had to make sure he wasn't fighting with the little kids in the dugout. Um, Steven's fine, but he wanted me to come see him yep. and Gavin decided he wanted to run away. I lost Gavin for 30 minutes in a big, huge park. Wow. Terrifying. Yes. Mm -hmm. Terrifying. Um, I, I guess, not even I guess, I just know God has been watching out for us because there's no way he would still be here if he wasn't. A teacher happened to find him. She happens to work with autistic children. She happened to just hold him until and call the police to let him know let him know that she had him. And then 
I call and they're like, oh, he's okay. He's here with this woman. <laughs> That's amazing. But there's always some kind of surprise behavior, it seems, that can be attributed to, well, Xavier, like I said, has ADHD and the autism. Yeah. But um, every day is just, is just different. You can't predict it. Okay. Okay. Now, I didn't know you were going to say that, but once again, Donna, you've given just a, just a nugget that is so important for everyone to hear because so much of parenting is the imagination of predictability. And then for other parents to hear you say, oh no, <laughs> no, the predictability is, is out the window. The most predictable thing is the unpredictability. Yes. <laughs> again, I want people to hear that. And you also said something, Donna, that I also want to uh, uh, take in myself and to hear is to be able with, for others to be able to say, this, this, this is difficult for her. Because the tendency is to interpret it from their position. This is difficult for us. We wish that that child wasn't screaming in this restaurant. Yes. But as Dr. Martin Luther King said, there's no movement forward without empathy. Mm -hmm. Right? So to start exercising empathy and, and putting someone's self in another person's experience, it's extremely important, right? And I'm hearing that from you. And I think that that's vital um, for people to just kind of reorient a little bit, you know, and just say, hey, you know, you think it's tough. Believe me, I'm, I'm feeling that, right? Well, I'm really, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I say there was a, um, a, a photo that someone sent me with two parents on the couch laughing, like hysterically. And um, it said, an autistic parent's reaction when a regular parent says that they're busy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yes. that part either. Gavin goes to three therapies every week. So yep. that's something else that, yes, but definitely that is difficult. That it's. <laughs> yes. I really believe God has made me an example because, and I've heard that from teachers also because it's just not likely to have three autistic children that's right and yeah we're just we're just very very blessed very fortunate okay now i'm gonna um turn to millie because last one of our previous conversations millie you talked about that sleep thing uh <laughs> not not being uh, uh dependable and regular right but millie why don't you share with us in these uh final moments here of our time together. Share with us a little bit about surprises that you too have encountered. Well, Donna, I just had to get up because Brady just escaped out of the house into the front yard onto the street. So I had to find my husband without back to go get him out front. <laughs> we also have um, basically um, alarmed every door in the house. Um, it has to be set every night. Um, the Woodies actually gave me permission to feel okay about turning the lock on Brady's bedroom door to put it on the outside for his safety and so I could sleep. I, I, it made me feel so good. They're like, Millie, it's okay. 
It's okay to do that. This is another parent who is experiencing life in in similar frame as you are. Right. Um, so surprises. I'll get to the sleep. Um, but things, something that I wanted, I wish I would have said earlier for that first question, but also fits into this category is everything is escalated and heightened. Like going to a well child checkup with Brady, it takes, it takes now five people, adults, to help me hold him down so they can check his ears, mm. um, to give him his flu vaccine. Um, I have to make special arrangements to have a private room and they have to have extra people there. Dentist appointments, we have to find one that's willing to have a child with special needs, especially behavioral special needs. I mean, he's papoosed still in a thing, and I still have to hold him down with a dental hygienist. It's emotional having to hold your child down. Yes. Um, I used to go every six weeks with Brady to practice going to the dentist, so I understand busy. We did hippotherapy with the horses. We got grant money to do that, um, feeding therapy teaching Brady um, how to eat. He eats very basic and um, 12 foods. So, I mean, I have to teach him sensory wise, um, how to swallow these things, how to chew them, things that he doesn't prefer. I'm teaching him how to use a spoon. Potty training took years. Um, he wasn't potty trained until he was five, which is a blessing. It's huge that he's potty trained. I'm not diminishing that, but you know, I was on for potty training for three years. <laughs> Wow. Uh, just everything is, I mean, it's a huge deal when you get there though. So I feel like we know this amount of joy that is hard for other parents to experience. Cause when we get it, I mean, and other parents just want to like high five each other, you know, um, it, it feels good. Um, sleep, Donna, Connie, I know you all understand, but Brady does not sleep well. Um, never has. And I mean, at least it for a while, it was five nights a week. He was up at two in the morning, ready to go. And that was so wearing on me. I mean, to the point of anxiety and mentally, I felt unstable. I had explained in our last um, conversation that there was one night recently, um, this has happened multiple nights, but one night recently, that I felt I was so tired. It was night four of about three hours of sleep for me. I'm in school full time, working, homeschooling, Brady's home, you know, you're going crazy. Um, and I had to wake up David to come because I had to remove myself because I thought that I might hurt Brady. Yes. I just thought I squeeze his arms. That I may be a little nervous having everybody here, <laughs> just FYI. Um, wow. Those kinds of things are hard to say out loud, you know? Um, it's hard for other people to hear that don't have the same reference of experiences that we do. Um, and like I said, Donna, hats off. I, I'll help you. You tell me what you need. David will stay home. I'll come to you, girl. I'll come to you. David will stay here. I'll come to you. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do want, I do want to say thank you, Millie, for what you just said, because you did share that with us in a previous conversation. And that was unbelievably meaningful because I think it's very hard for people who are, this is the lived experience to have anyone that they can say, 
have you ever felt this way? Right. Is there something wrong with me as right. a mom, oh, yeah. dad, as, as a professional, right? Is there something wrong with me that I'm feeling this level of anxiety? Right. And for you to say it and to share it, it gives permission for other people to then finally unburden themselves and say, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's just vital. So I, I can't thank you enough. Just yeah. like I, I want to say thank you to Connie for sharing the experience about the leaving church and yes. Valencia's struggle and then the, the ER visit. See, this is what people with living in this circumstance are facing all the time. I, I've heard all of you on the call, but as well as others in our, our um, very special circle of friends talk about 24-7, right? It never stops. There's never a break. And some of those that are going to join us for the other conversations in the series are actually going to talk about respite care. So some of our other uh, conversationalists that, that are joining us for this, uh, that's part of the questions that they're going to address is respite care. You have also, many of you have mentioned the financial part of it, and we will have a, a, a special conversation devoted just to the advocacy. We're going to be joined in that uh, by a person whose professional life started in teaching children with disabilities and now works for the government in that arena. And she will also be able to help us with uh, some of that. So these, these conversations are going to be priceless for people that are walking this as a lived experience. And so what I want to say to you tonight is thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for sharing in this. Um, and this is the, this, these are the beginning conversations. There will be many, many more. And I just want to thank you so much for uh, participating in this tonight and sharing with us. And um, is there anything anyone wants to say as a closing statement tonight? Thank you. Yes. I want to bring up one other thing. Sorry, it just kind of came into my mind, but it feels really important to say out loud. Yes. Um, so we have a typical child with Briley, and then we have our sweet Brady. And I just want to talk about Briley for a minute yes, because it's hard on him too. And it's the best thing for him too. Like he has a, the most tender, compassionate, um, he will fight for anybody um, who is marginalized um, point of view. And I just think it's an important conversation probably for another time, but to talk about the siblings Okay. And that, you know, he has started expressing because we, we want him to express like the other uh, last year during soccer season, um, Brady was very loud and was throwing a tantrum and actually escaped onto the field during a tournament game. And it was, he verbalized to us that it was very embarrassing mm. and he felt badly. He didn't want to tell us and he actually cried for feeling that way. Mm. And so it's important because we're, we try so hard to frame this conversation of your brother. He's different, but he's beautiful. He's in God's image. And I think he's sometimes afraid to say how he's feeling too. Like I was just afraid to say I was filled with those moments of rage and 
you know, sometimes he wants those moments to just look typical. And so I think maybe that's another conversation that maybe is another time about siblings and what that might look like for them. We'll do it. That's nodding. See there. (laughs) So I think we have our next conversation for maybe this group, right? Lined out there. Well, I, uh, I do want to say thank you all. Thank you so much. And what I would ask you to do is think a little bit about what, what's left on the table, knowing that there's a series of, actually there's a series of four conversations because um, um, an activist, an activist, excuse me, who is on the autism spectrum, Ryan Lee, we do have a conversation just with him. And he is advocating and sharing from his own perspective, which is, thank you so much uh, for this. And uh, my prayer is, is that this is one of many conversations, including the one that Millie just launched for us. My first, I know. My first, I know.